Aetna has 14,500 out of 35,000 employees that work remote, as in they, they don't have an in-office desk. And when they switched to this, they shed 2.7 million square feet of office space, which saved them around $78 million. American Express did the same thing, and they reported an annual savings of 10 to $15 million just thanks to their remote worker options. So these are companies that they have the office space. Everything is set up there, but they offer their employees. They say, hey, if you want to work remote, we'll help you do that. And then as people go remote, they start shedding office space and saving ridiculous amounts of money on their operating costs. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt, and I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. And I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. So today we're going to be talking about remote work. We've got some pretty cool ideas around whether or not it's even possible in design, why you should care about it, and then how you can actually do it. But before that, let's get into a little bit of our own personal experience around this stuff, because we each come from different backgrounds uh, with remote, and we have different experience with it. So Matt, do you want to kick us off there and tell us uh, how you've worked remote in the past? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so when I first graduated from college, I worked a couple years uh, freelancing uh, and just seeking out my own clients, doing uh, graphic design work and doing uh, development work for them. Uh, if you've ever freelanced, it's a very interesting and challenging career path. Uh, you have to, again, seek out your own clients, manage your own time, uh, and you just don't know month to month whether or not you're going to get paid. You have to track all that stuff down yourself. Um, and f- my take on that experience was really that, like, uh, it kind of depended on the client whether or not the remoteness of the work actually was effective. There were some clients that were very demanding, very hands-on, and were just kind of like pinging me about every little thing constantly that really could have been said like in an email at the end of the day or something like that. And that was very distracting. And you know, then you tie in like the things about like time management and, and whatnot. Um, and then there were other clients that were very hands-off, and it worked great with. But it was I found very contextual uh, in the context of, of freelancing. Uh, but I learned a lot from it. It was, it was a great experience overall. Uh, and I found that now working at HubSpot, uh, we have policies where you can kind of choose to work remote when you want. Um, and so I found that like the time management skills that I learned from freelancing have really helped me uh, today. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, I also had a stint of being in freelance um, for a little while. Um, but not to go over that same stuff again, I think um, in addition, uh, an experience that I had that was kind of a nice contrast between uh, working at a company where I'm there face to face with people and uh, suddenly having to work remote. Um, I was living, uh, still am living in Boston, and Boston um, is tricky because you don't know when the winters are going to be so bad that um, you know trees break and cars get frozen to the ground. And that year, my car was the one that got frozen to the ground. And so for like a month, I was unable, like completely unable to get to work. And I could have taken public transit, but even they were having problems. This was the year that like the trains were like, oh, no, we don't know how to deal with the snow. So um, because I was in the office all the time and suddenly had to be like, I'm working from home, I'm working remotely 
with a team that's not used to that, um, there were some pretty unique challenges around um, how to like take the stuff that we were used to and like translate it over to a, a remote uh, relationship, right? Um, also, uh, I should note that I have worked remotely with people in like a non-tech situation. So I do some audio engineering work on the side once in a while, and those people that I've worked with are all over the place. Europe, uh, California was one of the last ones, and that's remote by nature. Like, I've never met these people, and having a, a system and setting the right expectations is really important for that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Austin? So I started out uh, when I was at HubSpot. I would work, like, part-time remote, like, very rarely, where, you know, sometimes I would, like, work from home, and then other times I was going to Brazil uh, periodically for, like, a couple weeks at a time, and then I traveled a lot to speak, so that would cause me to work remote. And then I joined a team where half of my team was based out of our Dublin office. So now we're dealing with, like, there's basically six people on my team that I almost never see, and they're in a different time zone. So getting a little bit more experience with remote work there, and then ramping up on my uh, speaking and my time abroad. And then eventually, uh, I got to a point where I just went full-time remote. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I skipped the entire Boston winter and all of the high rent prices <laughs> and just said, I'm getting out of here and I'm, I'm going to go full remote. And that's what I'm doing now. So uh, I moved to Brazil, as we've mentioned in previous episodes. And then uh, I travel around a lot for speaking right now. I'm actually in the United States. Um, and then next year I'm going to be like really adopting the digital nomad style living in a bunch of different countries across South America Europe and Africa and speaking and everything like that. So I've really, really like, especially recently gotten really uh, serious about remote work um, and engaging with the digital nomad community. Why don't you help us uh, paint a picture in our heads, Austin? Do you typically work uh, out of your apartment over there? Do you work out of a coffee shop? What's your go-to? Yeah. So it changes. Um, There's a few things in Brazil. Like I usually work out of the apartment because I went through the effort of setting up a pretty good office there. Uh, in the apartment, but we also have like HubSpot has partners all around the world that work with us. And we have a couple partners in Rio de Janeiro that offer their office space to me. So if I ever get to a point where I'm like, I need to go to an office, I can go there whenever I'm traveling anywhere else in the world. Like, uh, next month in December, I'm going to be living in Chile the month after for two months after that, I'm going to be living in Argentina later in the year. I'm going to live in Italy. So all of those places, I already have co-working spaces lined up. Mm. Um, and that's just something where it's like when I can't bring my Thunderbolt monitor with me, I just have to find a place where I can get like a pretty good monitor, some air conditioning, a good chair, that type of thing. Yep. Uh, how about you, you mentioned the rest of your team is out in Dublin uh, and you're constantly switching countries. Do you ever have to like coordinate uh, times when you guys are in a Google Hangout or something like that? What's that like? Yeah, I think that that's a pretty like that's a critical thing that we had to figure out and get right like almost immediately or else it would have just completely killed us. So we we have uh, like a bunch of the team in Dublin and then we actually have other distributed workers like for example we've got one guy in New Zealand and he's on like the opposite you know uh, time schedule from us so a lot of it requires like I end up going to meetings really early in the morning because of the time zone that I'm on I'm, I'm like right now in Rio I'm two hours ahead of uh, Eastern time which is like that's our anchor 
Um, and then for the people in Dublin, their, their meetings are like late in the afternoon. So it's just been a matter of scheduling that stuff. But honestly, our big strength has been outside of the meetings, like identifying the stuff where it's like, hey, we don't need to have a face to face talk about this. We don't need to have, mm. you know, uh, a 30 minute meeting about it. This is something that we can collaborate on in a different way, whether it be through actually just creating what we were going to talk about and, and showing it visually or, you know, communicating over Slack or something like that. I really like that you guys had like that discussion to set that precedence and decide like, all right, these are the things that are worth like spending our time face to face with. And then here are the things that aren't. Because in my experience with working remote, uh, those are the things that I hadn't established and those killed me, you know, Mm -hmm. when because even when you're in an actual workplace, you still have those distractions. If like you're on Slack or any other chat thing, uh, if people are constantly pinging you throughout the day, you know, how do you prioritize when to look at those and address those concerns, you know? Or are those just getting in the way of like you actually delivering what you need to deliver? In the office, you can just, you know, slide your chair over and 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 start sketching something with somebody, or you know, having a conversation with them. You miss out on a lot of that really, really close collaboration. And right. going into remote work, I knew that I would have to deal with that. But what I didn't expect was that those interactions they you don't just produce work when you have those interactions, you build rapport with the people that you're working with. And so like you start to construct relationships where, you know, people trust you or they, they like you as, as crazy it is to think about that. uh, That's actually something that's really important in work relationships is for you to like the people that you work with. And it's exponentially more difficult to build that over like purely text interactions and then also as a result of that a lot of the time when you're the guy that's remote especially if you're working at a company where you have a centralized office and then there's some remote workers as opposed to a company that's fully remote when there's that centralized office there's going to be a lot of stuff like that that you miss out on you know like these conversations that happen between meetings um, or you know not over slack and that's been something for me that I've had to adjust to like how do I make up for that and how do I make sure that I communicate in a way that is still warm and inviting and makes people you know trust me and like me without you know forcing myself to actually be there physically in person right exactly there's um, it's amazing to think about like how much happens in those moments where say you're catching somebody in a hallway, you know, and you're walking to go get lunch or something like that. It's like almost, it's almost like those off moments or off hours, um, like a lot of actual work and a lot of actual, um, you know, rapport building and idea generation can happen. Um, you completely miss out on that when you don't have like the physical, um, you're not like physically present. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that also when it comes to -to face-to-face interaction, the way that you can think about like communication is that, Let's take face-to-face interaction with your voice and you being physically present as like 100% the most information that can be conveyed. Like every single way that a person can communicate um, happens in that way. You know, the, the unspoken communication, the verbal communication, the, you know, any sort of like uh, reactionary or physical type things that happen in normal communication. You don't have that um, in something like email or a chat or sometimes even like video chat, right? Um, you start to basically handicap yourself in a way where you're removing pieces of that communication, like the way in which people, like if that's 100%, email is like 40%, right? So you have to make up for it. You have to like think about what that's lacking and 
find a way to supplement that so that you can get as close to that 100% of like effective communication. Yeah. That possible. just makes me think that like as important as, you know, personal attributes are to being effective as a, re- a remote employee, it's equally important for the culture to have like developed very effective communication skills right. uh, electronically, right? And so to have like uh, places that everyone knows to go to to contribute to resource sharing and idea generation and that kind of thing. And also having just like a very open collaborative culture in general. Yeah. So there's actually like just from being remote, there's three things that I've really identified. I think that you need to have in place in order to create a good remote team. And I think that we've actually kind of touched on two of them. So the first thing is what you just mentioned, Matt, which is team attitude and culture. You really have to have a team that's open to the idea of having people that work remote or working remote themselves, because there is like that added extra amount of effort that you have to put in to communicate in a way that is not completely natural to you. And people need to be willing to do that. And if you've, if you're at a company where like, you know, the, the culture is that, that there's a game to see, you know, who can stay in the office the latest or people like to have political bullshit sessions where, where, you know, they're doing things like that. Uh, you're going to have a hard time because for remote work, all of your success has to be measured by the actual results that you generate, not by like the time that you spend in the office or by who uh, you're friends with or, or who you've made an alliance with and your political connections. It's, it's really very, very results focused. And so the team and the culture kind of have to be built around that. Like we're ready to work remote. We want to be remote ourselves. We want to have remote employees and we're going to focus purely on results, not on any of this other extraneous stuff. And in one way, that's a, you know, a a massive blessing because you don't want any of that other bullshit. But in another way, you know, it's, it's like a point of growth for a lot of people because we've become used to working in a certain way. The second thing that you need is good tools and space. And this is something that we touched on a little bit earlier. You're going to need a good machine, a monitor. uh, If you're a designer, especially a good internet connection, uh, especially if you're like traveling around the world, that's been a big thing for me is whenever I book an apartment, I have to talk to the apartment owner ahead of time to like have them verify what their internet connection speed is, if it ever goes down, if there's any other issues in the area like frequent power outages uh, that would cause me to not be able to work because I'm ultimately responsible for for being able to show up you know every day and and contribute. Um, and so that's on me and that's the thing I have to check. And then you, you also just have to have a good place to work in general. Like, are you going to have a desk? Uh, do you need air conditioning? Uh, you know, are you going to have loud neighbors or anything like that? It's all stuff to consider and you have to be diligent in, in making sure that you do that. For me personally, I wasn't super thrilled about lugging a Thunderbolt monitor all the way to Brazil, but I'm really happy that I did it because it's what, you know, empowers me to have a good office there and and really do my work. And then finally, and this is something that I think Matt was touching on as well, you need a strong personal philosophy. So you're going to need uh, people that, like for me, the, the people that are best at remote work, I, frankly, I think that some people fundamentally cannot do remote work, uh, but the people that are best at it are going to be highly autonomous, self-motivated, self-learners that that are really, really comfortable with not having somebody like hold their hand when they're, you know, they're trying to learn a new programming language or 3D. And uh, they're comfortable with being able to police themselves and make sure that they're not watching Narcos on a Tuesday when they should actually be 
getting mm-hmm. something done. And that's not to say that, you know, you have like a rigorous schedule or anything like that, but ultimately because sort of going back to the first point, like everything is based off of results. If you're, you know, not teaching yourself new things or bettering yourself as an employee or getting results, you're going to end up regretting ever going remote in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys know, are you familiar with um, Odesk or whatever it's become now? Have you ever seen how that works? <laughs> yeah. Those like different uh, like freelance job boards and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, th- they have built a system that is trying, I mean, it expects a remote. Like you're not meeting up with these people in person. They are, you know, all over the world and they're doing work for you. Um, it's interesting. I think about like what the watching narcos on a Tuesday thing that you said. Um, the way that Odesk tries to, uh, I think they're still called Odesk. Let me double check that real fast. But the way that they, uh, oh, it's called Upwork now. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on there. Um, the the way that they try to prevent people from um, doing things other than the work is by requiring you to do um, to use like a screen recording software. So while you're working, you check in. It's because it's hourly, so you you have to check in or else you won't get paid. Right. And then while you're checked in, it records what your screen's doing. It just takes a screenshot every so often, right? Um, and it's amazing to see, like, um, it works for the most part for some people um, because it's more of, like, a, the fear of getting caught, right, yeah. of, like, not working. But um, I've been in a situation where I've worked with people on Odesk at the time, and uh, I would, like, check out their screens one day just out of curiosity, and, like, half of it's filled up with, like, watching Netflix or something, and you're like, what? Like, but you- that makes sense in, like, a scenario where, like, you're billing hourly for, exactly. like, your services, you know? But, right. like, you're at an organization, I like what Austin's describing, where it's a results-driven culture, you know? Uh, honestly, if... I'm at the top of that organization, and uh, I see that my remote employees are delivering the results that are expected, right. uh, and they are only working two days out of the week, and the other three days they're watching Netflix. I wouldn't really care. Yeah, you know, exactly. I would, yeah. I would it's like, like setting the right expectations with, with about what they're able to accomplish. Right. There's a. Um, I, I think that it's if you think about people that um, have trouble with remote work, like those people who are like, oh, like if they're work if they're at home, they're not working. Like they've got to be in the office. Um, I wonder if the problem is about not having a good sense of what accomplishment means, right? Mm-hmm. Or not being aware of, of it. So, you know, it's more of an opinion at that point, right? So if you don't get the metrics back about how your workers are performing and you just see people at home all the time, you might think to yourself in a snap judgment kind of way, mm-hmm. there's no way that those people are working, right? But that's like a totally, that's totally opinion and it's not even based on any data. So I wonder if... Um, like first and foremost, if you've ever run into somebody who um, d- kind of doesn't work well with remote um, employees or somebody who like dislikes that, if the problem is that they're not connected enough to the goals, if they don't have a, a good sense of you know what needs to be accomplished and if that's actually happening, um, because ultimately what a person chooses to do with their day is not important as long as the thing that they're expected to do is done right. Um, and if there's a, a sense of you know well, they did it, but they didn't do enough, or, you know, there needs to be, like, I don't know, like, everybody wants their employees to go above and beyond, right? Um, Especially, even more so when you're remote, and that comes down to, um, you know, the expectations that the the company is setting Mm -hmm. around that. And when it comes to working remotely, those expectations, first and foremost, um, I think kind of set the tone for the rest of your remote work experience. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that stuff a little bit around like those expectations. What companies that 
are adopting remote work or deciding to go fully remote should expect when they do this. We've got some pretty interesting statistics around how remote work is being developed in different workplaces and how companies and employees feel about it. So the first thing is just like a few high level stats. Regular work at home among the non-self-employed population has grown by 103% since 2005. So a lot of people are starting to adopt remote work, even if it just means working at home, not necessarily being a digital nomad or anything like that. They're just not going into an office. 3.7 million employees, or 2.8% of the workforce, now work from home at least half the time. And then the employee population as a whole grew by 1.9% from 2013 to 2014, while employees who work remotely grew by 5.6%. So we can see wow. by, uh, by a pretty pretty big um, margin that the growth of this remote working population is actually accelerating beyond the growth of the regular uh, working population, the people that go into offices. Dang. And something that I've noticed personally within the tech industry, I know we're talking about this a little bit earlier, is that because uh, demand for remote positions has grown so much, people really are looking for remote jobs. Um, they are the most competitive jobs to get, typically speaking. Right. Uh, you yeah. have to really work hard to get a full-time remote position. Yeah. It's, and that's like one of the big benefits for companies that start accepting remote work is that it makes them exponentially more attractive to those top tier employees. And of course, there's yeah. a lot that you have to do to like sift through that. But uh, a robust 68% of job seekers who are millennials said that the option to work remotely would greatly increase their interest in specific employers. Okay. So it's something where it's like, this is not just a movement that's organically growing in a community, but actually it's a benefit that you can supply to your employees. Right. And there's also a ton of uh, financial gains there. I mean, for the business, of course, they might not have to spend as much money on real estate to actually. So like, there was actually a story I wanted to tell, but uh, you just dove right into it. Oh, sure. Which no, is no, no, I, I, somebody in my family um, was working at a company um, and they just decided that the real estate that they had um, was too expensive and they made just about everybody work remote. It was just like, I think it was like there was like an office that had like some space that they were like you can move to. But for most people, it was like you have to work remote. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because um, that was they had to invest a lot of time. They actually had to invest time and money into making sure that people would still be productive because the environment that they had before was very much like you got to be in the office. Right. There wasn't a lot of opportunity to work from home. And then they were like, OK, now it's 100 percent work from home. Mm -hmm. And they weren't really equipped for it. So. It, watching them um, try to like hack together like the the tools and the training and the the communication uh, patchwork whatever whatever they needed they they offered to get people furniture for their home offices and stuff mm -hmm. like they 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 spent a bunch of money to transition from that um, and it makes me wonder if they had a culture that was a little more open to um, working remotely like for example uh, I love HubSpot a lot but they did not pay for my home office right mm -hmm. like. But they also gave an op, like they're much more relaxed about working from home. So um, if the culture already involves 
that and they're okay with it, um, that transition for the company that I'm talking about um, probably would have been smoother, right? Yeah. It, it wouldn't have felt so jarring and so different. They wouldn't have had to train people um, in like a different way of working because in a way that it was always kind of an option. Um, you know, with companies like HubSpot, it's just it's just another thing you can do. Yeah, it seems like you need to have the culture first. And also another interesting thing that I noticed uh, this, this past year while filling out my taxes in some states, Massachusetts is one of them, uh, if the company that you work for does not have a physical location that is optimal for you to work in and you have to work from home, like in that situation, you can actually uh, write off uh, in your tax returns uh, the uh, amount of money that you spend like for your rents and for like furnishing your office and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's another benefit for the employees. And then the organizations themselves, I mean, kind of to Jeff's point, they save a lot of money on operating costs when they start adopting remote work. Aetna has uh, some 14,500 out of 35,000 employees uh, that work remote, as in they, they don't have an in-office desk. And when they switch to this, they shed 2.7 million square feet of office space, which saved them around $78 million. American Express did the same thing, and they reported an annual savings of 10 to $15 million just thanks to their remote worker options. So these are companies that they have the office space. Everything is set up there, but they offer their employees. They say, hey, if you want to work remote, we'll help you do that. And then as people go remote, they start shedding office space and saving ridiculous amounts of money on their operating costs. Yeah, it's there's a huge, huge benefit to doing yeah. that. Uh, also interesting on the flip side, like there are some companies that are like very famous for being like very pro remote work. Uh, and then there are companies that are very adamantly against it. Uh, I yeah, think like right? the prime example being Yahoo. Right. And yeah. so it's like interesting to to kind of think about like, uh, like, why are they so yeah. against but it? But how did it work for Yahoo? Right. Mm -hmm. did, <laughs> I mean, did everybody, has anybody like kept up with the, with that saga of like why, what happened after people couldn't work remotely? Oh, yeah, there was an exodus. And that was, you know, that was such a weird thing for me. If I recall correctly, I believe that Marissa Meyer went into Yahoo and was like, all right, we need to really, you know, I mean, obviously, Yahoo was in a tough space. She like she she took on a, a serious challenge. But her one of her solutions was we need to buckle down. And the way we're, we're going to do that is by forcing all of our employees to come back to headquarters. I can't think of a faster way to completely kill your morale and upset your workforce and get the, anybody, your remote employees are almost always your top performing employees because they're the people that have earned that opportunity. They're the ones that were, you know, performing way above their class. And it's like, okay, you know what? You're doing such a good job. Like we trust that you right. can work remote and you're going to keep producing. And you're now you're going to say that they can't do that. You're going to bleed your most valuable talent. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, at uh, Yahoo still like they still think that it was a good idea right i think that what what they were looking at was they they had done some internal studies on employee productivity and they had found that uh in productivity and delivering uh actual work right you know was much you know, higher and when they did it the, like the engagement and um the productivity of their employees actually did increase um however if we know how Yahoo is as a company and yeah. how they're doing as a company, Yahoo did not survive. It comes down to the culture, right? It's like it says something about their culture that remote work did not work for them. Right. They're in trouble. And, you know, things like um, trying to change how their employees work um, with policy doesn't 
fix the problem. And it's almost like, in hindsight, it's almost kind of silly that they thought that that would fix the problem, right? Because that's not a cultural decision. That's the classic thing where, you know, culture doesn't come top down. And whenever you get a leader that comes into a company and is like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to what everybody has to say. I'm just going to start prescribing changes to a culture. You know, that's some really risky stuff to do. And the fact of the matter is, in a recent PGI study, they found that uh, when they polled remote working employees that were previously not remote, 82% of them reported significantly lower stress in their day-to-day, and 80% of them reported significantly higher morale in their day-to-day and and better feelings about their work. And then they also found that it reduces employee turnover. So by offering remote work options, companies found that their job attrition rates fell by over 50% according to a study published by Stanford University. So they had like this big, you know, group of uh, companies that previously didn't have a remote workforce at all. And then they started offering it. And wow, big surprise, (laughs) their attrition rate went down by 50%. So yeah, right. I think that it is something where it's like you have to set your your company and your employees up for success from the start for remote work. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, you got to be hiring a specific type of person that's going to be able to work remote. And we we may find out that Yahoo wasn't hiring that type of person. And that's why it was a difficult thing for for them to do. And that's why they saw that their productivity went back up when they brought those people back. But if you're hiring the right people from the start, which like, honestly, regardless of whether or not you do remote work, I think it's generally a pretty good idea to hire highly autonomous, motivated self-learner types. Uh, You hire those types of people, you instill a culture in your company where you're like, we're always open to change, we're always going to stay adapting to what our employees want, and we're going to let you guys dictate the culture. Then when this stuff happens, like it's it's not a super difficult transition. It's HubSpot did not start as a company that had any remote employees. And increasingly every quarter we're we're finding that more and more of our employees are going remote we're growing our workforce we're trying to get more specialized people we've got people that work at the company already like myself that are like i want to go remote and it's not been a difficult transition for us that's because we set ourselves up the right way from the start yeah you know it's an interesting thing that i've noticed as we've been talking about this is that in past episodes, we've talked quite a bit about how having a purely results-driven culture is a very important step to adopting experimentation and growth processes because you want to keep people honest about when experiments fail, yeah. right? And you don't want to be cherry-picking data points. Uh, and that's part of how you do that is by being results-driven and being honest about those data points and learning from the failures, right? Constantly learning. Uh, and it sounds like those are also a lot of the same cultural attributes that attribute to a successful remote working culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how specifically in the UX and design and development communities, um, what are the challenges around working remotely? And um, what are some ways, maybe we have our own stories about you know some adjustments that we've had to make or um, some things that need to happen. Like, is it even possible to work remotely in those fields, like, effectively? Yeah, yeah. this is, like, such a great question. And it's one that I get all the time uh, where, you know, when people find out that I'm a remote designer and working with this distributed team and all this stuff, they're like, wow, like, I didn't even think that was possible. And frankly, some people, I will tell them what I'm doing and they're like, oh, well, you know, I think you're probably doing a bad job because it's just not possible to do design remote. <laughs> uh to, of course, you know, after that, you can point to companies like Envision and Buffer and, and Basecamp and companies that are actually, you know, well-respected uh, for design and, and they do perfectly fine uh, being actually fully remote. 
Um, in my case, when I tell people, it's actually really possible. And in many ways, I think it's better. I've seen that my own personal productivity has gone up because Jeff, sort of as you were like alluding to earlier, you know, you got a lot of distractions in the office, especially at HubSpot. We have an open floor plan like Facebook and Google and all these different companies. It's the trendy thing. And people can just walk right up to you and, and it'll be anything from like, hey, can you help me fix this design to, hey, do you want a cupcake? You yeah, know? Yeah. Jeff brought in uh, cupcakes. Yeah, yesterday. no, that's very totally. close to home. I did actually bring <laughs> in cupcakes the other day. I was the most distracting <laughs> person in the office by far. So I've seen myself have higher productivity. I, I can control when people communicate with me like I shut off slack for parts of the day I choose to only answer emails in the mornings unless there's something like really really urgent that comes through um, and then the only thing that I have to manage is I have to like tell my fiance hey you know during like this period of time it's it would be really great like if you you know weren't inviting me to the beach or something like that <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then so beyond that I've actually seen that while my productivity has gone up, my creativity has also gone up. And I really attribute this to the freedom that you get from working remote and the ability that you have to travel. Like just by living in, in South America and traveling to different places and, and having the freedom to do that and engage with these cultures, it has completely changed the way that I view design problems and the ways that you get to solutions. So not only does your productivity go up and, and like in that way you're producing more for the company, but the, the, the ways that you produce things and the solutions that you offer mm. become higher quality. So even as your productivity is going up and you're producing those things, you're still producing higher quality stuff with that, which I think is super powerful. But of course, there can be a lot of confusion once, once you get to that point and, and you're like, oh my God, like it is possible to, to work remote and be a designer and collaborate and everything like that. Uh, there's a lot of confusion in, in, in the process of getting there. And, and w once I, you know, tell people like, look at all these great benefits that, that I've gotten and the company has gotten by us doing remote design, their first question right after that is always, oh, well, like what are, what tools are you using to do that? Because yeah. it feels, especially like in the age of product hunt, you know, when there's like a product for every single problem that you have, which is wonderful. Uh, but it starts to feel like, oh, okay, if, if I want to do remote work and I want to do it really well, there's probably like some niche products that I can get in order to empower me to do that. And honestly, I, I don't think that like my the products that I use on a daily basis and my uh, my tool stack, it hasn't really changed w with me going remote. Like I collaborate still through Slack. We use Zoom uh, with an integration with Cisco Telepresence to have our meetings all across the world. And then uh, tools like InVision, which allow us to, you know, literally collaborate on designs remotely and share feedback and annotations and send things to developers with pre-populated dimensions and everything like that uh that's like that's the stuff that i've just leaned into you know so it's not even a matter of like whether or not this is possible because we know it's possible we know a lot of people are doing it and that there's a lot of benefits to it and it's not even a matter of what tools are like the magic bullet that you need in order to do something like this it's more a matter of culture and who you are as an individual and how you're going to be committed to this as a company and also as an employee in my opinion yeah. So uh, right off the bat, like it, it's really interesting that you're specifically saying that your creativity went up. That's something that I didn't even really consider uh, as like an effect of going full time remote. Um, but I can totally see it, right? Because you're not around the same people and being exposed to the same ideas over and over again, right? You're free to explore and uh, find your own creative process. 
but I can't also help but wonder if there are some trade-offs, right? So one thing that comes to mind is like direction setting. Direction yeah. setting within an organization can be very difficult, uh, even if you have everyone in the same room, mm-hmm. right? Uh, do you have any experience with uh, your team trying to like set the direction that you're going to move in and trying to get every member of your team like aligned and going in the same direction? Definitely. So I think for companies like Envision where they're fully remote, they don't have as much of an issue with this. Like from the people that I've talked to there, uh, the people that I've talked to at Buffer and everything like that, like they're all remote. So so they have their ways of setting direction and, and it actually works out pretty okay. But for sure, when you have a company where you've got an office and then you've got remote workers, it's difficult to keep all of those remote workers on the same page as the people in the office because stuff gets lost in translation. We have not really run into as much of an issue around direction setting because the way that uh, we, we run our team is we're very, very, very goal oriented. So like you can't, we can't really do our jobs if we don't know what our goal is. Like if, if I get into a project and, uh, and it's like, okay, you know, we're going to design X, Y, and Z, but I don't see what the goal is or what the North star is. I'm like, guys, I can't even start on this. So that's like the first thing that I, I cross off my list. And, you know, maybe that's more of a cultural thing. Uh, but what we have run into is like political stuff, like stepping on people's toes, you know, yeah. where we're like, I will say, okay, I'm going to uh, get involved in this project. And I just like tell it to the PM. And then the PM puts me on the project and then everybody else on the project is like, wait a second, like, you know, like, where did he come from? You know, and it's like, oh, okay, like we had an issue here where where we didn't like communicate this to everybody well enough. We're like, that's that's like something that you have to actually think about when you're remote is like, Mm. okay. I, I can't just communicate this stuff once. I have to communicate it multiple times. And, and whenever I'm commu- uh, like talking to a single individual, the way that I write the message to them, I have to just assume that I'm talking to everybody because they're going to copy and paste my message and forward it on to people and it's going to be taken out of context. That stuff happens all the time. Whereas like when you have in-person conversations, you can just be like, okay, we're all in the same room right now. And I can just say, hey guys, like I'm going to come onto this project. And then you leave the room and you're talking to the PM and you kind of have like a candid conversation about like these are the things I want to accomplish these are the things I think are going to be a roadblock and they're not going to be able to like record your conversation that you had there and forward it on to a bunch of people and like take it out of context so for Hopefully. me I think it's been less around like aligning us around a single goal and it's more around aligning us around a single understanding of like hey you know we're, we're all on this project together. Uh, nobody, like, you can't assume ill will when, you know, messages are taken out of context or you can't assume that people are trying to, you know, politically make moves or, or anything like that. It's just right. d- more difficult to communicate. And, when you're intent remote. is very difficult to sense over text Exactly. Versus exactly. when like, you can see someone's face and the expressions that they have as they're saying these things. You know? Yes. Yeah. I have lost so many friends from texting the wrong thing taken out of context. <laughs> you guys have no idea. It's... That's a different podcast. We'll talk about that. Jeff <laughs> <laughs> uh, tells all. Yeah, exactly. Jeff sheds tears. <laughs> all right. Well, actually, speaking of which, um, we do have to wrap this podcast up. Um, if you are uh, looking to do some more things with remote work or, or you haven't really dipped your toes in the water with you know your own company um, and you have questions, um, we do have an email address. It's hello at uxandgrowth.com. Um, we're also on, we're all on Twitter. Um, so if you go to uxandgrowth.com, you should find all of our contact information there. Um, and we're pretty fast about responding to that stuff. Um, we 
also are on uh, iTunes and on SoundCloud. And SoundCloud does not have this functionality, but iTunes does. It's called review. So if you'd like to leave us a review, um, feel free to do that. Um, it we haven't figured out what the prizes are for for good reviews or or uh, donations or any of that fun stuff, but we'll figure it out someday. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.